Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Happy Holy Feast Day of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Of all the apparitions in the Catholic Church, all the approved apparitions of the Blessed Virgin Mary, this is the only apparition where she's left physical evidence. All the other approved apparitions in the Catholic faith, there's eyewitness testimony that Mary appeared. But this is the only Marian apparition in the world where there's physical, tangible evidence that the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared in Mexico City in a hill called Tepeyac. And if you look at it, that Tepeyac is right in the middle of the Western Hemisphere. It splits, it splits the planet in half. And to me, that it's an indication that the Blessed Virgin Mary appearing right there exactly in, uh, in that meridian line of the Western Hemisphere that dissects the world. She came to unite both East and West. That's one of the things that it tells me. Our Lady Guadalupe is also the patroness of the Americas. So it's just not a, this is not just a Mexican Catholic feast day. She's the patroness of the Americas. She's the patroness of the pro-life movement. And uh, Mary standing on the crescent moon, this is also an indication to a lot of people that one day Mary is also going to be the catalyst to evangelize and bring Islam back into Christianity. Uh, because the, the, the crescent moon signifies Islam and she's standing over the crescent moon. And it's interesting that Islam... Mary is the most revered lady in the Quran by far, even uh, beyond Muhammad's wives and his daughters. So, hey, Paul, uh, welcome, brother. A uh, lot, lot to talk about today. Yeah, Jess, you, you talked about leaving a physical evidence and what evidence it is. It, it reminds me of the Shroud of Turin, you know? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it's very miraculous. <clears throat> yeah. One of the things, and the name Guadalupe also, it's um, very interesting. It's, it means in, in the language of the indigenous Indians at the time, which is called Nahuatl, it means the woman who crushes the head of the serpent. That's, that's what the word Guadalupe means in that language. The woman who crushes the head of the serpent, which is very interesting because that's exactly what God said Our Lady would do to the devil in Genesis 3.15. And so 1,500 years later, after the after, after the Blessed Virgin Mary is assumed into heaven, uh, she comes back to earth to Mexico and she's given that name or she identifies herself by that name in that language, the, the Nahuatl language, that she's the one who crushes the head of the serpent. Um, and so I think she's going to play the Blessed Virgin Mary, without a doubt, Our Lady Guadalupe, is going to play an important part in eschatology and end times uh, and everything that has to do with the second coming of Christ. Yeah, and these these gifts from heaven, just uh, both the shroud and uh, 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 our, the tilma, uh, the, the tilma, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the tilma. tilma, yeah, uh, they're gifts from heaven, and, and and you know the more they're like the gifts that keep on giving because um, the more they study it, the more uh, the more amazed we are. I mean, this stuff is jaw dropping. Yeah, because there's science behind it, Paul. There's, 
You know, there's, you know, for, for people that have that scientific bent that you've got to prove this to me, the Shroud of Turin and Our Lady Guadalupe Stilma, uh, they've been studied by non-believing scientists and they point out all the miraculous aspects to these, uh, to these artifacts that we have that point to Christ and point to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So, uh, once again, just one of the, one of the many indications that we are the one true church of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. I was going to say that you always tell me that, look, Paul, the Catholic Church has many miracles. We have uh, uh, Eucharistic miracles. We have uh, things like the, the shroud and the incorruptibles. And, uh, the, yes, all of those things. They're God's way of co-signing are helping us in our in our faith in our you know, we have these damaged uh, intellects through sin. But yet God is saying, look, um, uh <laughs> This is not of human origin, clearly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, compared, compared to every other religion out there uh, where there's nothing, nothing but crickets. Yeah, there is no miracles. Even Benny Hinn mm. said he's on YouTube saying that uh, the, the, the religion where there are more miracles by far, he said, is the Roman Catholic Church. Benny Hinn said this to an audience of about 20,000 Protestant Pentecostals. And their jaws just dropped. And then he said, the reason there are more miracles in the Catholic Church than in any other church in the world is because they have the Eucharist. Benny Hinn said that, which tells me that um, he's still on a journey. He hasn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For him to make that statement, the Catholic. And then he, he's, he, he also prefaced by saying, I'm still working my way through John chapter six. I guess he's been working his way. Uh, through John chapter six for 50 years, but Hey, it's okay. Some people, you know, just, it takes a little bit longer than others, but, um, uh, thanks be to God that, uh, that as Catholics, God keeps on showing himself to us through miracles in case, in case, uh, you know, you're wondering, uh, we serve of God of miracles. Again, the incorruptible, yeah. the many apparitions of the blessed Virgin Mary, um, the real, the, 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 uh, Eucharistic miracles at Holy Mass, the Blessed Virgin Mary, mm -hmm. um, the real, the, 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 uh, uh I Eucharistic hear miracles at Holy Mass, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I heard myself again. And then you have also, yeah, but there's also another phenomenon, Paul, that most people don't know about. And there's, there's a book written on this about 150 years ago. It's an old book. Mm -hmm. It's called, um, Race from the Dead. There's mm -hmm. over 400 accounts of people being raised from the dead in the Catholic Church when Catholic saints pray over them. Like one of them, for example, that's in the book is St. Catherine of Siena. This was back in like in the 13th century. Her mom died. St. Catherine of Siena is a doctor of the church, uh, one of the three female doctors of the church. And she didn't want her mom to die. So she got to her bedside and she's crying. And mom, mom, why do you... I Mama wasn't ready for this. St. Catherine started doing prayers of supplication. Lord Jesus, please bring back my mom. St. Catherine's mom came back from the dead at the at the behest of her daughter's prayers at her bedside. That's one of over wow. 400 stories documented in the Catholic Church on people that have been raised from the dead at the name of Jesus. And so again, well, the Catholic Church, Paul, it's just validated by miracles. Yeah, and that goes right along with sacred scripture, just the prayers of a righteous man. Mankind in this instance availeth much. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Paul, you know what I want to spend the rest of the show talking about? I want to rest of the talk because 
there's a debate amongst lay Catholics. Hey, you can't criticize a pope or a bishop or a priest. Then others that do so cautiously. Then others that do so uh, throwing caution to the wind, name calling and and ad hominem attacks. And so, so there's three camps of lay Catholics. Some Catholics that are pope splainers. It'll say, you can't ever say anything about a priest, a bishop, or a pope. Keep your mouth shut. Then some that 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 do so criticize respectfully, based on Canon two twelve respectfully, and then the third uh, side, some people that just basically, uh, you know, use ad hominem attacks and name calling, and uh, and they're just mean spirited when they criticize uh, a priest, a bishop, or a pope. So I want to look at what the Catechism says on 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 the on. on well, you know, slander, you know, libel, detraction, calumny, and work our way through for the rest of the show so we can give a good balanced approach on what the church teaches in terms of uh, in terms of what we, what we would call a fraternal correction. So for those of you that have the catechism, we're going to go from paragraph 2475 to 2492. We'll take the rest of the show and I'll start off. I'll start off. First, by quoting 2475, it says this. Christ's disciples have put on the new man, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. By putting away falsehood, they are, they are to put away all malice and all guile and insincerity and envy and all slander. Okay, got that. So let's start working our way through what this actually means. 26, 2476. False witness and perjury, when it is made publicly, a statement contrary to the truth takes on a particular gravity. There it is, a statement contrary to the truth. Like if I tell people, oh yeah, so-and-so, he's cheating on his wife, and I know that's not true, but I use the bully pulpit of this microphone to slander another Catholic and say, oh yeah, that Catholic is cheating on his wife, and I make that statement knowing that it's contrary to the truth, the catechism says that takes on particular gravity. In court, it becomes false witness. Me and Paul know about that. We were cops. <laughs> when it is under oath, it is perjury. Acts such as these contribute to condemnation of the innocent, exoneration of the guilty, or the increased punishment of the accused. They gravely compromise the exercise of justice and the fairness of judicial decisions. 2477. Here's This, this section is in, very important. Respect for reputation of persons. Okay, we'll pick it up there. Yeah, this is important because uh, the Bible says that we got to watch the way we use our tongue. In the book of James, our tongue could could, could set off like a, a forest fire. So we have to watch how we use our tongue. That's what we want to talk about here. Stick around. We'll be right back. Jesus 911. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol Jesus 911, since the, since the uh, tongue is a powerful weapon, as it says in the book of James chapter 3, we're looking at what the catechism says as to the proper use of criticism, especially as it relates to maybe, say, our parents or our government, those in authority, or even the church authority. 
And so we're taking a look at line by line what the church teaches so that we make that that we can make sure that we stay within the parameters of what the Holy Mother Church teaches. 2477. Respect for the reputation of persons forbids every attitude and word likely to cause them unjust injury. Ah, that's the key operative word right there. Unjust injury. Because there are times, not that you want to injure people, that you have to say things because for the for for the good of society or for the or what's called for the common good it says the person becomes guilty of rash judgment who even tacitly assumes as true without sufficient foundation the moral fault of a neighbor that's pretty simple rash judgment we got to watch that of detraction who without objectively valid reason discloses another's faults and failings to persons who did not know them that would be called detraction of calumny who by remarks contrary to the truth harms the reputation of others and gives occasion for false judgments concerning them so paul you have any comments of uh, a rash judgment detraction or calumny i can't hear you paul can't hear you can't hear you any uh Paul, are you there? So I'm asking Paul if he has any comments on what we just read. Rash judgment, detraction, or calumny. His channel's open. Paul's channel's open. I'll keep reading until Paul comes back in. It says in 2478, To avoid rash judgment, everyone should be careful to interpret insofar as possible his neighbor's thoughts, words, and deeds in a favorable way. So far as to possible, avoid rash judgment, his neighbor's thoughts, everyone words, should be. Okay. I think you could hear me. Jess, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you now. You hear me? Go on. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Back to what you were saying. I don't know what happened to my mic, but uh, you, you asked me if I had any co- uh, comments on, on calumny. That one is used a lot, Jess. Um, you know, I noticed that there's a lot of people who are, you know, who rightfully are open themselves up to criticism. And the minute the criticism comes, they say, Oh, that person is guilty of calumny. <laughs> uh, but like you said, you know, there, there, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and uh, uh, when we're, you know, like there's, there is a justification, um, at, you know, and a right time to bring that criticism Um Particularly when, uh, so when we're talking about issues that are going on in the church today, um, these issues, you know, it's not like they lack foundation. It's not like, you know, we invent these things and say, well, this is my opinion. I mean, we've had popes, we've had Our Lady, uh, you know, apparitions of Our Lady. We've, you know, there is plenty of uh, other current bishops and and, and cardinals, uh, all you know, saying the same things. And so it's not just about, you know, uh, you know, leveling a criticism, uh, but it's about, um, you know, a hunger and a thirst for the truth uh, and rightly dividing uh, the word, right? That's what sacred scripture calls us to do. Um, You know, study to show thyself approved uh, workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, And for those that choose to uh wrongly divided 
or interpreted in a way that's counter to the perennial teachings of the faith, uh, we would be remiss not to speak out. I agree. I, I think we would be guilty of, of a sin called the sin of omission. Oh, mm. That's also another sin in the catechism. It's, it's mm-hmm. when you fail to say something, when you have a moral obligation to do so for the common good. And so I think a lot of us, for example, I think here in us, in our show, we're not Pope splainers or Bishop splainers. When they say something that objectively goes against the perennial teachings of the church, we point it out, but we're also not flamethrowers here, Paul. We're not, we don't throw. And I have to admit not to talk about people who's uh, who have seen better days. Voris was, he's my friend, but he was a flamethrower. He would criticize the bishops and popes, but he would do it in a way where there, where he would be angry. You could see, you could see anger there. And so, yeah. Though he though he may have been saying the truth, I I I think his uh the way he would say it in terms of his anger, the his disposition was wrong. And poor guy, I mean, you know, he he's he's paying the consequences for it. I think we here in this show, we take a balanced approach. When we say things about the Holy Father, a bishop, or a priest that are doing something wrong. We try to say it with charity and we try to say it knowing our place as lay Catholics, okay, within within the church militant, that you know, we're mm-hmm. we're the bottom rung of the ladder. But you know, the catechism paragraph nine oh seven says that we can and should uh, uh confront our sacred pastors and let other people know when it for the common good. So I think here in this show, we don't try to explain things away that may be said by some of the, the clergy, uh that's that fundamentally goes against the perennial teachings of the church, but we're not we're not flamethrowers either. I think we just take the via media, as John Henry Newman would say, and we just say things the way they are. But again, not our our disposition. It has to be it has to be as Saint Paul says in Colossians chapter four verse six: Let your words be seasoned with salt and seasoned with with love. Uh, and so I think yes. we try to do it. Our motivation is because we love the church and we ultimately love their souls and, uh, and, and, and love corrects. And we have to sometimes offer our fathers, our spiritual fathers, uh, correction in charity, right? Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, if you look at our Lord and you might say, well, that's our Lord, but he spent a lot of time correcting and setting his spiritual the fathers straight. They were his spiritual fathers. The Sanhedrin, yes. the Pharisees, they were his yes. spiritual fathers. Yes, they had the authority of Moses. Authority. Yes, yes, yes. And yet, yet when Jesus needed to, uh, he certainly spoke out. Yeah, and he so spoke out. See- he spoke against Caiaphas, another his spiritual father, the high priest. He spoke out yeah. against, uh, you know, the, the the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. He had spiritual. Uh, he had go- natural law authority, governmental authority over Christ. Uh, and Christ spoke out, so there is a time to speak out against them. It, but again, you just yes. have to you just have to make sure that your disposition, or you have to make sure that your motivation is right. If you're doing it out of anger, out of wholesale anger, that's wrong, because then then mm-hmm. then, then your motivation is wrong. You have to do it because you want to you want to correct them. And you want you love their soul, and you love the the church's doctrine because the doctrine comes from Jesus Christ, and it's holy, and we want to preserve the doctrine. 
Yes. Like, for example, here, Paul, here's here's an, a classic example of, of offering correction. Now, I'm going to verify this after the, the, the show. Somebody just sent me a text. It says CatholicNewsAgency.com, which is a credible source. And it says uh, Vatican, Vatican's small part of cremated ashes can be kept in personal place in certain cases. So now, again, confusion. The church has never allowed... Uh, first of all, the church allowed cremation after 1965. Before that, didn't allow it. And the church never, all the ashes had to be buried just like the body had to be buried because the body will rise again. Now, according to Catholic News Agency, I'm going to have to read this article. It says that the Vatican's making a concession that you can keep some of the cremated ashes in a personal place in certain cases. That's never been allowed by the church. The church has always said, cremation all the ashes in the urn have to be buried just like the body because those ashes will rise on the last day now if yeah. this article is true again this is another position we're not being critical we're offering correction we're saying wait a minute wait a minute vatican wait a minute holy father this has never been allowed before by any pope by any pope why are you making that concession the body's supposed to be kept intact because the body is going to rise again on the last day yes and this yes. is why the church, the, the, the body's sacred. Even the cremated ashes are sacred. That's why we bury them six feet under the ground. We're not supposed to keep yeah. them in, in, in the shelf in the living room. And so again, yeah, and we, yeah. And we, and we don't just bury them anywhere, Jess. I mean, even if, you, if you're buried in a cemetery that's not Catholic, the ground uh, in the area that, that the, the person is buried in has to be blessed. Yeah. It has to be consecrated. By a Catholic priest. Yes. Yeah. So, Paul, let's move move to 2478. Read that one. That's 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 kind of a big one there. 2478. Okay, let's see what we got. This here. Rash judgment. Yeah. That's a big one. Okay. To avoid rash judgment, everyone should be careful to interpret insofar as possible his neighbor's thoughts, words, and deeds in a favorable way. Every good Christian ought to be more ready to give a favorable interpretation to another statements than to condemn it. But if he cannot do so, let him ask how the other person understands it. And if the latter understands it badly, let the former correct him with love. If that does not suffice, let the Christian try all suitable ways to bring the other to a correct interpretation so that he may be saved. Now, now it's that's, one, that's one we got to unpack. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you why. Because, Paul, this is the one that the Pope's splainers use on me all the time. Okay. They say, they, they say, look it. When the Pope says something that seems to be a bit ambiguous, Jess, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt. And they always quote this right here. Okay, They go, okay. if you don't give him the benefit of the doubt... And, and try to interpret his words in light of Catholic teaching, then you're engaging in rash judgment. So I, I'll tell you, this is the best argument from the Pope's splainers is 2478. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, I, I just say, look at, we have to look at the, uh, we have to look at the context. And, and as Catholics, you know, as I as I tell people, the plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. 
God didn't give the Bible to bright scholars. He gave it to children to get home. You know, it's a light to our feet in this dark world. It's a lamp unto our feet. And so you don't need advanced degrees to understand certain things. Like I'm reading Catholic News Agency. You can start having the ashes of your family members in certain cases in your house. Okay, now that confuses me. Here I am. The church has never allowed this up until right now. And the church is not going to change that teaching in uh, December 12th, 2023. Please explain that to me. How was it before sacrilegious to do so? And today it's not. Just because the Pope says so? See, that that's, that's a difficult... We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car. And what we're talking about, again, ambiguity and the reason a lot of lay Catholics like ourselves, we fraternally offer correction uh, to our prelates, including the Holy Father, is look at this, Paul. In the last three weeks, think about this. It, it seems that I can have a transgender person be, be uh, godparents to my, to my kids. And now, today, yeah. am I, uh, I can have my father-in-law's ashes sit in the family fireplace. All this, Paul, is, does is breed confusion when you're making church teaching uh, when you're pulling it out of whole cloth and, and and it's like pulling the rabbits out of a hat. And this is why, yeah. again, as a Catholic, uh, l- let me quote paragraph 907, because this is an important one. Let me flip over my catechism, because this is the one for lay people so we can know our rights and duties, because a lot of people say, well, Jesse, you can't say the things that you say. No, that's not true. Mm. Let's look at what the church teaches based on canon law. Here it says, Paragraph 907. It says, To lay people. Lay people in accord with the knowledge, competence, and preeminence which they possess. Lay people have the right, and even at times a duty, to manifest to their sacred pastors their opinion on matters which pertain to the good of the church. And they have a right to make their opinion known to the other Christian faithful. That's exactly what we're doing here. Okay? Mm-hmm. I have concerns with things that are being taught by my sacred pastors. And so we have a right to email them, write them letters, uh, send them correspondence, which I do. And then we all, because it's hard to get them, because let's just be honest, they're very, it, they're very insulated. It's hard to get to a bishop or a pope. Let's just be honest. Okay? It's not, it's not, <laughs> You know, it's not going to happen very, very often uh, unless you're uh, Greta Thunberg, I guess. And then the catechism also says, and you have a right to make your opinion known to the other Christian faithful with due regard to the integrity of faith. In other words, to keep the faith. That's what we do on this show. Uh, We're trying to help other Christian faithful navigate through these confusing times. Paul, 2479 of the catechism says, Detraction and calumny destroys the reputation and honor of one's neighbor. 
honors the social witness given to human dignity, and everyone enjoys a natural right to the honor of his name and reputation and to respect. Thus, detraction and calumny offend against the virtues of justice and charity. Agreed. Totally agree. Yeah. 2480. Every word or attitude is forbidden which by flattery, adulation, or complace, or complacence encourages and confirms another in malicious and perverse conduct. Adulation is a great fault if it makes one an accomplice in another's vices or grave sins. Neither does the desire to be of service nor friendship justifies duplicitous speech. Adulation is a venial sin when it only seeks to be agreeable to avoid evil, to meet a need, or to obtain legitimate advantages. Okay, well, that's, that's self-explanatory. 2481. Boasting or bragging is an offense against the truth. So is irony aimed at disparaging someone by maliciously caricaturing, caricaturing some aspect of his behavior. Hey, that's self-explanatory. Boasting, bragging. Here's 2482, self-explanatory. A lie consists in speaking a falsehood with the intention of deceiving. The Lord denounces lying as the work of the devil. You're, you're of your father, the devil. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he's, the father of li- he's a liar and the father of lies. That's self-explanatory because that's all a violation of the, the, the Eighth Commandment, the tenth, com- uh, the tenth Commandment, number 8. 2483, lying is the most direct offense against the truth. To lie is to speak or act against the truth in order to lead someone into error. By injuring man's relation to truth and to his neighbor, a lie offends against the fundamental relation of man and of his word to the Lord. 2484. Are you there? Probably want to pick that one up. 2484? Yeah, sure. Do 2484. The gravity of a lie is measured against the nature of the truth. It deforms the circumstances, the intentions of the one who lies, and the harm suffered by its victims. If a lie itself only constitutes a venial sin, it becomes mortal when it does grave injury to the virtues of justice and charity. Read the next one. Next one. Since it violates the virtue of truthfulness, a lie does real violence to another. It affects his ability to know which is a condition of every judgment and decision. It contains the seed of discord and all consequent evils uh, uh, and all consequent evils. Lying is destructive of society. It undermines trust among men and tears apart the fabric of social relationships. Jess, all these things are true. Um, You know, but, but let me just preface something here. You know, in order, you know, so so we're living in a time, Jess, where good men, holy men, pious men, we're talking about men who have ascended to the top levels of the church, who have, you know, a lifetime of a reputation of defending truth and sticking to uh, the perennial teachings of the faith. So when these novel ideas are being introduced to which, you know, uh, you know, and, and we know that the, the, the people introducing these ideas, we, you know, we know from previous popes, uh, you know, and we've had many warnings of modernists, of modernists and what 
their ideas do and how they try to contort and change the truth. So we're living in a day when when uh, good men are being silenced, good men are being um, punished uh, for defending truth. They're being what we call in this culture, right? Canceled, Jess. Where they're they're basically saying you no longer have a seat at the table, you no longer count. And for what reason? Because they simply are defending the perennial teachings of Holy Mother Church. So, so, so when you look at these, um, you know, teachings in the Catechism, of course, you know, you know, you know, we need to be careful in in the things that we say. Yeah. But they a lot, be, but a lot of Paul, it's sorry. like like when we were cops, when you write a police report, it's an official document. Boy, oh boy, you better have just cause for and probable cause to put those handcuffs on a person because that could be a false arrest. You know, yes. that that that's a huge violation. So you better have, you know, the probable cause, your reasonable suspicion, you better have uh, you know, uh, the body of the crime in the report, what you saw for you to affect an arrest. Uh, and, yeah. and the same thing as a Catholic, if you're going to say something about a priest, a bishop, a pope, the deacon, you better make sure it's true. You better have checked it several times. Make sure your sources are good. And when you do it, Paul, you can't do it with anger. You, you can't do it. Yeah. You can't do it with... And again, I'm saying this as Michael Voris's friend. Uh, many times he would put out very true statements... But but he would say it with anger, whether it's righteous and, anger or unrighteous anger. And, and again, uh, and I told him about it. We would I would I said, dude, good good stuff. I said, but you gotta ha- you're gonna have to control your passions. I said because people yeah. are not gonna receive it well. And so yeah, we we try to put out the truth. Yeah, we try to put out the truth right here, Paul, on this show. But I, I try to do it disaffected from any of my my emotions or passions. I'm just trying to warn the Catholic faithful. Hey, this cardinal said this. This this is uh this is this goes against the perennial teachings of the church. Hey, Father James yeah. Martin says this. This goes against yeah. the perennial te- But I'm but but I'm we're, we're trying not to do it emotionally angry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just yeah. Well, here let me just give us a an easy way to look at this. Obviously, if something is reported in in you know in the news, say a, a you know a Catholic source, and of course, it, you know, the if Cardinal so-and-so did this or said this, of course, we can have a discussion about it and we can weigh it. The Bible says we have to test the spirits. We have to determine whether or not, you know, uh, something is true or it's not true. Just because a person holds an office doesn't mean everything that he says. We're supposed to say, well, he's a Cardinal. We just have to listen to him. Yeah. No. So, yeah. so, 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 but one way that we can do it and that I think people should do it is um, and you know, when we're talking about the the individual sins of men, like uh, you say, well, you know, if this person, you know, uh, I'll use Michael as an example because he was, you know, you know, he did this quite often, you know, he would, you know, hear about or, or, you know, or accuse somebody of, of being a homosexual or one of the prelates or whatever. Well, unless you slept with them, or unless you saw it, you really can't say that, right? And so, you also what you need to be doing is just speaking the truth. Uh, if you hear something, uh, or you know, or, or or an issue comes up, 
you just say, well, what does the church teach about that? What has the church always taught about that? Instead of keying in on the individual, you know, because there's a verse in the Bible that always um, speaks to me, and it's that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, you know, and just the last thing I want to do is, is take up that role and begin to accuse the brethren, especially falsely. Yeah. Amen. Good point. Good point. Um, let's go to 2487. Uh, you, every offense committed against justice and truth entails a duty of reparation. Uh, yeah, that's why we were out there on Thursday in front of the, uh, the Phoenix Theater when these drag queens were having a Christmas nativity play. Even if its author has been forgiven, when it is impossible publicly to make reparation for a wrong, it must be made secretly. If someone who has suffered harm cannot be directly compensated, he must be given moral satisfaction in the name of charity. The duty of reparation also concerns offenses against another's reputation. This reparation, moral and sometimes material, must be evaluated in terms of the extent of the damage inflicted. It obliges in conscience. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. The Bible says in James chapter 3, verse 6 and following, it's worth reading that chapter, that the tongue is like a fire. The tongue, is, it says, is full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of our Father. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brethren, my brethren, this ought not to be so. My final remarks, Paul, would be this. As Catholics, yes, there's something called fraternal correction. It's one of the spiritual works of mercy. The Bible says, mm -hmm. speak the truth in love, speak the truth in charity to another, Ephesians 4.15. The Bible tells us in paragraph 907 that as lay people, we have the right and duty to confront our sacred pastors on matters and opinions which pertain to the good of the church. And we have a right to make our opinion known to all the rest of the faithful. But at the same time, we have to watch ourselves and make sure that our motivation is love, not hate. We have to make sure that we don't fall into rash judgment, that we have the facts, that they're just not rumors that you've heard. We have to make sure that we don't engage in detraction and we have to make sure that we don't engage in calumny. That's my thought to, to mm. summarize uh, this uh, segment, Paul. What about you? Yeah, just those are some good thoughts. And it's kind of like when you discipline a child, you know, they tell you just you always have to reinforce it with love. Right. Because, you know, what the child did or, you know, possibly said was wrong. But at the same time, you communicate to that child that you value them. Uh, you know, uh, you know, as a person and that, you know, while the act is wrong, you still love them. And and uh, so when we're talking about things like this, love, you mentioned love. Love is the key, Jess. When you um, uh, when when you have to speak the truth and sometimes that that truth cuts and it hurts, you know, like I always say, uh, if the truth offends you, well, maybe you need to be offended, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but but once it's brought out, you know, 
is there love? Is there that, 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 are we going to pray for that individual? Are we going to be burdened? Because we don't want people, especially, you know, people within the church, uh, the last thing we want them to do is to go to hell. And so uh, the last thing we want them to do is to walk away from the Lord, is to not finish the race. And so uh, that's why we're here, to build one another up in the faith. God has given us each a different spiritual gift for each other. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, we can uh, do it right. And when we don't, well, that's what confession is for, right? <laughs> Amen. And uh, truth, just uh, full disclosure, I, I've been praying for Michael Voris, uh, uh, very often rosaries, divine mercies, offering my mass communion. Amen. So, Amen. Paul, let's move on to Christ and the world ablaze. Uh, it's interesting, Christ's Christ coming, as he put it in Luke chapter twelve, verse forty-nine to fifty. He said he's come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Now he was not speaking of burning down the physical earth. Priests reminded us during that reading uh, that with his saints, he wants to set a flame with his Holy Spirit. Uh, and did not the Holy Ghost manifest on Pentecost as flames of fire? And thus we have the expression on fire for the Lord. It comes from that, uh, you know, the day of Pentecost. Uh, it's an emotion. It's a spiritual fervor. It's an energy of exuberance, which comes from the most powerful prayer, which is prayer from the heart. So it didn't exactly sound like an end time sort of thing. Yet there's a fact, however, fire also figures into certain prophecies. For example, during the events at Akita, Japan, an approved prophecy, when a statue of the Madonna wept 101 times, a deaf Japanese nun heard these words from Our Lady. She said, quote, If we do not repent and better themselves, the Father will inflict a terrible punishment on all humanity. It will be a punishment greater than the deluge, such as one will never have seen before. Fire will fall from the sky and will wipe out a great part of humanity. The good as well as the bad, sparing neither priest nor faithful, the survivors will find themselves so desolate that they will envy the dead. The only arms which will remain for you will be the rosary and the sign left by my son. Each day, recite the prayers of the rosary. With the rosary, pray for the Pope, the bishops, and priests. Now, that prophecy was 50 years ago last month on October 13th, 1973, or a few months ago. So we, if we accept this prediction, would ha which had initial Episcopal approval, but also, since, but also has since found controversy, fire from heaven is not always the metaphoric or spiritual kind, but rather quite literal. Fire can fall from heaven as, it, as it's happened right now in the Middle East in this war. Fire can come from the sun. Fire can come from a comet. Fire can come from a forest or, or volcano. There are also invisible fires and forces across the universe. There's the fire of plague fever. And then, of course... There is the fire of nuclear war. Which brings us to the same great Padre Pio. Who bore the wounds of crucifixion on his hands and his side and his feet. And who, when asked about the future, said, can't you see the fire? Mm. Wow. 
And then we have the prophet Elijah. Paul, can you tell us a little about, about Elijah? Yeah. It, um, in biblical lore and in many cultures, fire represents divine presence, purification, judgment, awe-inspiring power. Through the narrative of Elijah, fire serves as both a literal and a metaphorical testament to the true God's might in contrast to false deities. Perhaps the most dramatic and well-known episode involving Elijah and fire is the contest at Mount Carmel, narrated in 1 Kings chapter 18. Israel, under the rule of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, um, had turned to worship the Canaanite deity Baal. In response to this the uh, in response to the Israelites' apostasy, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest to determine the true God. The challenge was straightforward. Two altars were set up, and for Baal, uh, uh, one for Baal and the other one for the God of Israel. The deity that answered by sending fire from heaven to consume the offering would be recognized as the true God. Despite their fervent rituals and invocations, the prophets of Baal failed to elicit any response. In contrast, Elijah uh, 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 prepared the altar of, of the Lord using 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and drenched the, uh, the offering in water. God answered by sending flames that consumed not only the offering, but the water, the stones, and everything else, even the soil around the altar. Uh, uh, the challenge was, um, yeah, so, so, Jess, that's... Yeah, this, uh, let me end. It says, a warning to the pagans, idols, and fal yeah, false yeah. altars of our own era. Yes, yes, yes. And listen, uh, uh, once again, uh, just when we talk about fire, we know God promised after the flood of Noah that he would never destroy the world again by water. But we also know by sacred scripture that fire is reserved. And we know that, you know, uh, essentially, uh, even, even sacred scripture talks about the, you know, the elements melting in intense heat right uh jess um yeah this the earth, the earth this, will be destroyed by fire that's scripture second peter chapter three just read that chapter second Peter. yes yes so 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 even though um this prophecy was made in you know through um sister sasagawa uh the reality is is the bible has been you know has said this a long time ago yeah. and so uh we're beginning to see us move in that direction we don't know what in exactly the form that it's going to take place but but like like she said if people do not repent it's tied to repentance jess and right now what do you see you see the world shaking its fist at god at the god of heaven and saying no we want to be free you know they're 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 like the psalmist when he wrote let us let us cast their cords from us. Let us, you know, we want to do it our way. We want to be separate from God. And and that's that's no bueno. <laughs> yeah, Paul. And um, I mean, the modern day prophets of Baal, I would call them uh, <clears throat> the CEOs at Lockheed, Northrop, Boeing, uh, you know, Raytheon uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and all the other companies. That all they do, Paul, they just exist every day to make weapon systems. That's all they do. Yeah. These are the modern day prophets of all these CEOs. I'm not talking about the employees, okay? I'm talking about the the the, uh, 
the millionaires that fund this and the CEOs. But these these new modern day prophets of Baal and these companies, they can create artificial fire from heaven using directed energy weapons that they can make right now. And so to me, the world is going to end. I We know it's going to end by fire. That's scripture. It's either going to be end by man-caused fire, nuclear weapons in a third world war, which uh, President Brandon is moving us towards that direction, or it's going to be divine fire. God has done that in the past. God rained fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah and incinerated both those cities. So the world is going to end, A, by either divine fire, or B, man-caused fire, but that's the way it's going to end. And as Catholics, that's why we must make the uh, that, that firm purpose of amendment to live every day in a state of grace. So when that time comes, or if your heart stops before then, that we die in that state of grace. Amen. Amen. Yes, we need to cleave to the cross, cleave yes. to Christ. Yes. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we're here, Jess, is to remind people uh, every day to keep your eye on the prize, run the races to win. Um, there's nothing for us in this world, Jess, nothing no, for no, us. No, no. And as the great GK Chesterton said, we're only in this world to get out of this world. Paul, for example, just to prove there's nothing for us in this world. Um, there's a lot of people that fly in to Las Vegas, Nevada from all over the world, all over the world. You don't live too far from Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'm sure you're not entered to like, oh, I've got to go there every weekend. I don't live that far. You're like, I'd rather go to Mass and receive the Eucharist and read my Bible. Amen. I know you. You're like, Las Vegas, boring, right? Yep. Nothing can do nothing for me. Yeah. And though people from all over the world die to go to that city, literally, and you're like yawning when you when when you talk to Paul Ball of Las Vegas, Nevada, he yawns. He says, hey, I want to go to Mass. <laughs> All right, brother. That's a wrap. Jesus 911. We got uh, Gary Machuda come in and next. Hands on apologetics. As for us, we are EOW, end of watch. And remember, Viva Cristo Rey and Viva la Virgen de Guadalupe. Pray for us. <laughs>